Dealing with a mental health illness can sometimes feel messy, but it doesn't have to be. I want to welcome you to Depression, What's Your Deal? My weekly podcast where we talk openly about all things mental health and dive headfirst into those uncomfortable, scary, and stressful topics that no one wants to talk about. No matter if you're someone who has a mental health illness or someone who wants to get more educated, this podcast is for you. So let's open up about our mental health and start learning together. What are you waiting for? Let's go. So just like last week's educational episode, uh, this week I want to talk about schizophrenia just because when we talked about bipolar disorder, schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder were the two that were very closely connected and were the ones that sometimes when you go into your doctor and you talk about how you're feeling and the things you're going through, those are the ones that could come up and your doctor could misdiagnose you with one of those when in reality let's say you are suffering from schizophrenia so today that's what we're going to talk about is schizophrenia and of course we're going to start at the beginning which is well what is it it is a chronic brain disorder that affects less than one percent of the u.s population when this disorder is active you can experience symptoms that can include delusions hallucinations disorganized speech, trouble with thinking, and lack of motivation. However, with treatment, most symptoms of this disorder will greatly improve and the likelihood of the reoccurrence can be diminished. While there is no cure for this disease, research is leading in in innovating and safer treatments. Experts also are unraveling the causes of this disease by studying genetics, conducting behavioral research, and using advanced imaging to look at the brain structures and functions. These approaches hold the promise of new and more effective therapies. The complexity of this disorder may help explain why there are misconceptions about the disease. Schizophrenia doesn't mean split personality or multiple personality. Most people with this disorder are not any more dangerous or violent than the people in the general population. People like to believe that the people suffering from this disorder will end up homeless or living in a hospital for the rest of their lives, which just isn't true because most people live with their families in a group home or even on their own. Many will be diagnosed between the ages of 16 and 30 after their first episode of psychosis. Starting treatment as soon as possible following that first episode of psychosis is an important step towards recovery. This disorder is very rare in young children, mainly because they're too young, I think, to really get diagnosed and they're still growing. So by the time you hit 16, 
most of your body from when you're a kid to teenager is already like growing wise is already done so it might be easier to pinpoint what is actually going on with your kid than rather when they're young so research shows that gradual changes in thinking mood and social functioning often appear before the first episode of psychosis so there are actually three different categories that people could fall into the first one is psychosis the second one is negative and the third one is cognitive so i want to go over each of the three categories that people could fall into because i think that some people are like oh well i don't fall into this one well there's other two that you could fall into that you might just not realize so let's go over that so first of course we'll start with psychosis and the symptoms include changes in a way a person thinks, acts, and experiences the world. People with psychosis symptoms may lose a shared sense of reality with others and experience the world in a distorted way. For some people, they, these symptoms come and go. For others, these symptoms become stable over time. So some of the symptoms that also come with psychosis can be hallucinations, delusions, thought disorders, and movement disorders. So let's go ahead and talk about the four different ones. Hallucination is when a person sees, hears, smells, tastes, or feels things that are not actually there. Hearing voices is common for people with this disorder and people who hear voices may hear them for a long time before their family or friends even notice the problem. Delusions, that's when a person has strong beliefs that are not true and may seem irritable to others. For example, individuals experiencing delusions may believe that the people on the radio and television are sending them special message that require a certain response or they believe that they are in danger and that other people are trying to harm them. Next is the thought disorder. When a person has ways of thinking that are unusual or illogical, people with thought disorder may have trouble organizing their thoughts and speech. Sometimes a person will stop talking in the middle of a thought, jump from topic to topic, or make up words that make no sense or have no meaning. And the last one in this category is the movement disorder. That's when a person exhibits abnormal body movements. People with movement disorder may repeat motions over and over again. So the next one that you could be categorized in is the negative symptoms. This includes loss of movement, loss of interest or enjoyment in daily activities, withdrawn from social life, give difficulty showing emotions, and difficulty functioning normally. The symptoms that are included with this one is having trouble planning and sticking with activities such as grocery shopping, having trouble anticipating and feeling pleasure in everyday life, talking in a dull voice and showing limited facial expressions, avoiding social interaction or interacting in social activities awkwardly, and having a very low energy, and spending a lot of time in passive activities. In extreme cases, a person might stop talking or moving for a while, which is a rare condition called catatonia. These symptoms are sometimes mistaken for symptoms of depression or other mental illnesses. And the last one that you could be categorized in is cognitive symptoms. 
It includes problems in attention, concentration, and memory. These symptoms can make it hard to follow a conversation, learn new things, or remember appointments. A person's level of cognitive functioning is one of the best predictors of their day-to-day functioning. Cognitive functioning is evaluated using specific tests. So the symptoms that come along with that is having trouble processing information to make decisions, having trouble using information immediately after learning it, and having trouble focusing or paying attention. Now, schizophrenia symptoms in teenagers are similar to those in adults, but the condition may be more difficult to recognize. This may be in part because some of the early symptoms of this disorder in teenagers are common for typical development during teen years, such as withdrawing from friends and family, a drop in performance at school, trouble sleeping, irritability of depressed mood, and lack of motivation. Also, recreational substance use such as marijuana, methamphetamines, or LSD can sometimes cause similar signs and symptoms. Also, they might be less likely to have delusions, but more likely to have visual hallucinations. So that's why I said they say it's very hard to see it in a child because usually you're like, oh, they're just being kids. But by the time they're teenagers, it's a little bit easier to pinpoint when your teenager is acting different than what they would normally be acting like. And again, it's hard even in teenagers because sometimes parents are just like, oh, it's just they're growing up and that's just things and symptoms for a typical teenager during development into an adult. So I think for a lot of parents, if you think that your teenager is going through something to really pay attention to them and try to figure out if they're just acting out or or are they acting differently than they were acting before. And I think I've said that in other podcast episodes too, that I think because we think they're just growing up, we're like, oh no, they're just growing up and we're not like paying attention to them like we should. But if you think something is off with your teenager, it probably should be a good sign to maybe check that out and if it's something more serious to reach out to a doctor to figure out what it is and what you need to do to help them. So of course, just like every other mental health illness, there are three risk factors that are contributed to the disorder that are genetics, environmental, and brain structure. This was something else that I've seen since researching all the different types of mental illnesses that these three categories are pretty much the ones that are the ones that they're looking at and going over to figure out what you're struggling from because these three are the ones that are going to help them identify exactly what you're going through. So like genetics, uh, in this disorder, sometimes it can run in the families. However, just like I've said before, just because somebody in your family has it does not necessarily mean you will have it, but you could develop it. Studies suggest that many different types of genes may increase a person's chance to developing this disorder, that no single gene causes the disorder itself. And of course, the environment factors, factors in 
the aspects of the person's environment contributing with the genetic factors, but also this could play a, a role in the development with like what your environment, what your life experiences. Uh, like people who live in poverty are have very stressful or dangerous surroundings or people who are exposed to viruses or nutritional problems before birth could be an environmental factor of why you might develop this type of disorder. And of course, the brain structure and function. Research shows that people with this disorder may be more likely to have differences in the size of certain brain areas and in connection between brain areas. Some of these brain differences may develop before birth. Researchers are working to better understand how the brain structure and function may relate to this disorder. So that's why when you are diagnosed and they're going over about all the things that they are asking questions and uh, like your family history and all this stuff, they might ask you to do an MRI or CT scan so they can look at your brain because with all the research they've done over the years, if they say these 10 people have schizophrenia and this is what their brain looks like, then likely if they're able to do an MRI or a CT scan and see that your brain looks similar than those, then it might be an easier way to diagnose you with what type of mental health illness you're dealing with. So like all the other mental health illnesses, the diagnosis is the same. You will reach out to your doctor and they will perform different tests to make sure you are not suffering from another mental health illness and to make sure it's not due to substance abuse, medication, or another medical condition. So of course they'll do physical exams. This may be done to help roll out any other problems that could be causing the symptoms and to check for related complications. Secondly, they'll do tests and scannings. These may include tests to rule out any other conditions similar with similar symptoms and screening for alcohol and drugs. The doctor may also require imaging studies such as an MRI or CT scan. And the third one is a psychiatric evaluation. A doctor or mental health professional checks mental status by observing appearance and demeanor and asking about thoughts, mood, delusions, hallucinations, substance use, and potential for violence or suicide. This also includes a discussion of family and personal history. So also going over a lot about different mental health illnesses, these three are also the same usually for every single one because the more information they can get about your family or how you're doing and your demeanors and your thoughts and your moods and just like if you can just put it all out there on the table they'll be able to be like easily start pinpointing which disorder you may be suffering from and it's going to be easier for them to diagnose you with. So this disorder requires a lifelong treatment plan even when the symptoms have subsided. Treatment with medication and psychosocial therapy can help manage the condition. 
In some cases, hospitalization may be needed. Current treatment for this disorder focuses on helping individuals manage their symptoms, improve day-to-day functioning, and achieve personal life goals such as completing education, pursuing a career, and having a fulfilling relationship. So with some of the other ones I've gone over, uh, sometimes you can take medication and there is a chance that you might not be suffering from it the rest of your life. You could go to therapy and talk it out or take medications and eventually it'll kind of just go away. For some it may not fully go away, but it's easier to like not have to deal with it all the time. This is one that you are on a treatment plan for the rest of your life. There, like I said, there's other ones where you're on a treatment plan and then eventually you're not on a treatment plan and you're not taking medication and you're just kind of living day-to-day life. But with schizophrenia, it's something that you have for your whole life and it's something that you take medication for and you go to therapist for and it's something that is not going to just eventually go away. So that's why they say even when the symptoms subside with like medication or therapy, you still need to be on your treatment plan and still work on your day-to-day life and that treatment plan they set up for you. Don't ever go off a treatment plan. If you're feeling a certain way, that would be the time to talk to your family or a doctor and say, hey, I'm feeling better and see what they say and then go from there. Coping with a mental disorder as serious as this disorder can be challenging, both for the person with the condition and for their friends and family. Today, I want to share with you six different coping mechanisms that you could try to help not just the person with the condition, but to also help you be there for them. The first one, number one, is to learn about this disorder. Education about this disorder can help the person with this disorder understand the the importance of sticking to the treatment plan. Education can help friends and family understand the disorder and be more compassionate to the person who has it. Number two is to stay focused on the goals. Managing this disorder is an ongoing process. Keeping treatment goals in mind can help the person with this disorder stay motivated. This can also help your loved ones remember to take responsibility for managing the disorder and working towards the goals you set. Number three is to avoid alcohol and drug use. Using alcohol, narcotics, or recreational drugs can make it difficult to treat the dis- this disorder. If you have a loved one that is addicted, Quitting can be a real challenge. Get advice from a health care team on how best to approach the situation. Number four is to ask about social services assistance. These services may be able to assist with affordable housing, transportation, and other daily activities. Number five is to learn relaxation and stress management. The person with this disorder and loved ones may benefit from stress-reducing techniques such as meditation, yoga, or tai chi. And number six is to join a support group. Support groups for people with this disorder can help them reach out to others facing similar challenges. 
Support groups may also help friends and families cope as well. I also want to share four more things with you that you can do to help a friend or relative that has this disorder. You can encourage them to get treatment and then encourage them to stay on the treatment plan. You can remember that their beliefs and hallucinations seem very real to them even if you don't think they are. You can be respectful, supportive, and kind without tolerating dangerous or inappropriate behavior and looking for a support group and family education programs such as those offered by the National Alliance of Mental Illness can help you and them with getting educated and just being there as a support group. So of course, like the last educational episode I did before I leave you I want to share some celebrities that have this disorder that you might not even know about. Celebrities like Aaron Carter, Zelda Fitzgerald, Daryl Hammond, Edward Einstein which was Einstein's son, Jim Gordon, and Vincent Van Gogh. I'm really hoping that with sharing at the end of each episode celebrities that have this disorder as well, it might make you realize that even people who have everything, the lifestyle, the money, the things that like some people just like strive to have, these people also might be suffering from mental health illnesses that you might not necessarily see in the public or in magazines or talked about because for a long time talking about mental health illnesses weren't something that people did and nowadays I think because we're starting to become more open about them and talk about them it's easier for people who are celebrities to come out and say okay yes this is what I'm suffering from and it'll be and I think it makes it help us be more relatable to them because again I think we just forget that there are normal human beings and normal people just like everybody else and just because they have money and we think oh they're famous so they're not suffering from what I'm suffering from that's not true these people are suffering just like we are and another thing I'm hoping is that after listening to this episode you can open your eyes more about what schizophrenia is all about and can help you as a friend or family member help your loved one who is going through it. So like always, I want you to remember that you are never alone and that I love you.